To the vexed question now of Australia's refugee policy and to some recent history of this issue. The Ministry of Immigration is a controversial portfolio these days, but in 1975, when the Fraser government came to power, a young Michael McKellar, the member for Warringah, Tony Abbott's seat, was given the role, described at the time as low on the totem pole, though it soon rose to prominence with the arrival of Vietnamese on boats seeking asylum. The woman I'll introduce you to now has been exploring how the then Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser and his government implemented policies to resettle the 2,000 Vietnamese and later tens of thousand Indo-Chinese refugees who arrived. That was a policy applauded by the UNHCR, but scorned by the Americans who felt Fraser was being too soft. We're living in rather different times today. Different language, different politics, different attitudes, it would seem. Or are they? Now, that's the question Claire Higgins posed to herself as she tried to compare and contrast the approach of one government towards unauthorised boat arrivals and how it quelled a nervous public's anxieties by comparison with later governments of both persuasions. Dr Claire Higgins is an historian and senior research associate at the Andrew and Renata Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law at UNSW. She spent years going through the National Archives and speaking to key players. The result is Asylum by Boat, Origins of Australia's Refugee Policy. Welcome to Saturday Extra, Claire. Thank you very much for having me. Just jumping a few decades ahead now... And I'm sure most people will remember that line from John Howard during the 2001 election campaign, we'll decide who comes to Australia in the circumstances in which they come, and that was the whole issue around Tampa. But he wasn't actually saying anything new, you suggest, was he? As control over immigration has always been seen as necessary ever since Federation? Absolutely. It's certainly been a long-running theme, a pillar, as the immigration scholar James Jupp has called it, of Australia's approach to immigration. And it was actually part of of the principles of refugee policy that Mr McKellar presented to Parliament in May 1977, that the decision to accept refugees will always remain with the Government of Australia. So tell us a little bit more about that because the wording, you know, that just is tossed off, but you're Mm -hmm. saying the wording is really highly significant. It is. So Mr McKellar packaged this within uh, principles that acknowledged Australia's international responsibilities, uh, but his main message was... Australia will accept refugees, but we will have the ultimate say on people um, settling here. And this was coming on the back of a white Australia policy that had been dismantled. We signed up with the, to the Refugee Convention, didn't we? Which was, what date was that? Australia was actually the sixth signatory to the convention in January 1954. 54. And the significant part of that is that as the sixth signatory, we brought the convention into force, which I think is a, a very important part of our refugee history. But we actually didn't have a machinery at all. We hadn't been tested on this even though we had a whole lot of Jewish refugees come before World War II, which is a separate issue. But we really hadn't, well, arguably, we hadn't been tested on this. No, and and that's one of the reasons why the period that I was looking at when Vietnamese began to sail to Australia in sustained numbers in that late 1970s period is such a transformative moment in Australian history because, as you say, we were moving away from white Australia. We were also uh, coming to terms with expanded obligations under international refugee law because under Whitlam, Australia had accepted obligations under the 1967 protocol to the convention, which essentially removed whatever uh, 
temporal and geographic limitations had been under that convention, uh, which had originally been written for refugees escaping Europe uh, due to events pre-1951, and allowed Australia and other countries to have obligations to refugees coming from anywhere. So when you have that white Australia and expanded refugee obligations uh, backdrop to the arrival of Vietnamese, Mm. it was really quite an unprecedented and unique moment. I think you might surprise listeners by telling them what Mr Whitlam thought about all this. Well, I didn't dig into it too much, but he didn't have to deal with refugees coming by boat. They anticipated it in May 1975 when you had a a mass exodus uh, from Vietnam after the end of the US war in that country. But in the end, asylum seekers didn't reach Australia until April 1976. But what he said was, this is what I found fascinating, Mm. is he said to his various colleagues, look, they'll all vote Liberal (laughs) because they're coming out, they'll be massively anti-communist and we don't want them. That is certainly what I've read elsewhere and heard from people at the time as well, yes. Okay, so when you came across this list in the archives in Canberra around the 1977 time when the Fraser government's in, with massive political capital, of course, Fraser came in with, you know, you could argue, tell us about this list and why you think it matters. So after several years of research in the Australian archives and in UNHCR files overseas, I found this particular list uh, just last year, so quite late in the piece, and it physically took my breath away when I turned to that page sitting there in the reading room at the National Archives in Canberra. It was a list uh, drawn up by an immigration staff member setting out a number of ways in which government could respond to boats. Unauthorised boat arrivals in Darwin. Yes. And the list uh, was headed uh, by the Secretary of the Department of Immigration at the time, Lou Engeldau. He was addressing it to the Minister and he wrote, I present these options as a challenge to our humanity, knowing where we must come out. And to illustrate that challenge to humanity that he indicated, uh, there are two particular options there. Uh, One was to set up detention centres mm. and treat boat refugees almost, and I quote, as lepers. Uh, and the other was to turn back boats. And there are a number of things on that list. And essentially the reason he presented it to the minister and said, knowing where we must come out, was basically to list all these options and knock them all down to well, the preferred one. Which was what? Which was working with other countries in the region to resettle people. I mean, there was, yeah, there's a range. It is very interesting. Rigorously and probably arbitrarily separate genuine refugees from the others and send the others back to by plane, either to Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand or Vietnam. Tell the governments of Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore and Indonesia, we will put the entry of their nationals, including students, onto a quota and for every refugee that enters, one is dropped off the quota. Um, and tell the Malaysian and Thai governments that our continuing contribution to UNHCR funds for expenditure in their regions depends on them stopping refugee boats leaving their shores. It was front and centre too was the question about a regional solution, wasn't it, which has bedevilled us as well. Yes, very much so. And it, it really was the path that they that they chose to take rather than what we see today, which is a much more unilateral approach. But I should go, just going back to that list, I should say that I put it in the book not to sensationalise it, but more to consider the mindset of, of the department of officials who wrote it and to consider that decision-making process and all the evidence on decision-making um, by from other scholars who've studied uh, the Fraser era show that it really was a process of putting out all the options, if only to knock them down. 
to decide what you were going to do by deciding what you weren't going to do. Now, have you drawn that conclusion yourself or is that clear from the evidence? I think that's an important distinction. I found it uh, explicitly stated in other archival documents and it's been stated by a political scientist Patrick Weller, for example, right. who's written about decision-making under Fraser. So I feel fairly confident in saying that. And so tell us, because you spoke with Michael McKellar, mm-hmm. who was Minister of Immigration at the time, and of course you spoke to Malcolm Fraser before he died. Tell us what they said in response to those Ah, well, the problem is I found that list at the end of last year, so I was very sad that I wasn't able to talk to them about that. But, but in other words, I'm really seeking from you, mm. what was the manner of their thinking, which mm. I think your conclusion is, is so different to the manner of thinking now? That's, yes. the, con- that's the contrast you're trying to draw. Yes. Well, in the, my interviews with Mr McKellar and Mr Fraser and in other archival files, I consistently found an emphasis on Australia working with other countries in the region and on fulfilling Australia's international responsibilities. Mr McKellar said to me, how did we solve it? The only way we could solve it was by working with other countries, getting others to play their part and playing our part. That's how he summed it up to me. And what did uh, Malcolm Fraser say? Uh, Mr Fraser said, what else could we do? Meaning they had to come. They had to come and they had to be dealt with in a rational, measured, humane way. So what's the contrast you're trying to draw am I right, between the decisions made then and the decisions being made now? I think the interesting thing is because those decisions were put on paper and we can now go to the archives and read through them, we can also read through the reasons they were made and the reasons those options were rejected. And the most interesting thing is that ideas for turning back boats were rejected for the same questions, the same unanswered questions that we that we have now. Turn back to where? And Minister McKellar said that publicly when he went to public meetings and people were saying, why can't you send out the Navy and turn mm. back these boats? And he said, turn back to where? Why should other countries take refugees that have been turned back by Australia? And that question still stands today. Where are people being? turned back to. That issue of detention facilities, um, Secretary Engledow wrote consistently, this would create a political problem, and we've seen that borne out now. You can't detain people without a tremendous, what he called a tremendous guard apparatus, and we've certainly seen that Mm. today. But the consensus view, basically, of most political parties is that the majority of the Australian population, they don't like it, but they think that it is a practical solution to a a very, very difficult problem. I think there are degrees, uh, there's a spectrum of opinion there. And expert opinion would tell you that there are alternatives to the system that we have now, very humane alternatives for certainly processing people in a rigorous manner, but not uh, detaining them um, potentially indefinitely in remote Mm. and harsh conditions. I wonder whether you, because even in your book, you flagged the fact that towards the end of that period, the politics were shifting even then. There was a certain concern arising in the Australian population about ghettos and about issues. Now, do you think that's the precursor of the politics of the moment? I think that Australians have always been concerned about unauthorised entry, as we've said before, that that idea of controlling entry has been a priority for governments since Federation. So the concerns today are just a new variation on what has come before. It's more about how government manages that and responds to that. And what I found looking at the press releases, at the minister's speeches, at other documents um, from that late 70s, early 1980s period is that government emphasised control of entry, but it did it in a, in a 
completely different way than it does now. It emphasised rigorous procedures in accordance with Australia's international responsibilities, that everyone coming here, they might be coming in an unauthorised way, but they are processed and they are assessed against the Refugee Convention. So everyone resettling on your street in your neighbourhood has been found to merit protection. And you do say that during the election campaign of 1977, the coalition was determined that the refugee boats would not become a campaign issue because they argued that the basic question of human suffering transcends partisan advantage. Um, Although you also acknowledge that there was a turning point in the year 1984 when something did shift. What was that? Yes, a number of people have spoken to me about this. Uh, Former Immigration Minister Stuart West, uh, Hawke's first Immigration Minister, uh, Fraser's Immigration Minister Ian McPhee, they had very vivid memories of this period in 1984 when you had uh, the vocalisation of what was perceived to be a community backlash against multiculturalism, against Vietnamese resettlement. You had historian Geoffrey Blaney vocalising these ideas. And that was all happening too fast. Yes, and that came into Parliament. And uh, the Liberal Party, now in opposition, uh, led by Andrew Peacock, decided to make hay with that. And you had um, some, some very dramatic scenes in Parliament in May 1984. Claire Higgins, thank you very much indeed for sitting there and going through the archives on our behalf. Thank you very much for having me.